Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Um, Okay, so... I would love to just take a quick moment of silence um, for all of the compulsive overeaters out there who are still suffering in and out of the rooms. Um, I love to just acknowledge them and pray for them and send them love and light and hope that they find us soon. And God, I just ask that you speak through me today and help me help everybody else. Um, So hi, my name is Katie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Katie, I'll give you a five-minute warning. Yes, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, So, hi. Yeah, I um, am a grateful member of this program. I have a little over three years of abstinence. Um, I am abstaining from binging, from dieting, from ordering delivery food when I'm by myself, from uh, just pretty much all compulsive food behaviors, both on the restricting end uh, and on the binging end. And the way that I keep that abstinence um, in terms of just like some bullet points of uh, what I do to keep what I have is that I'm of service. Um, I'm a sponsor. I am sponsored. Um, I have three sponsees. I um, take on service commitments at my regular meetings. I go to five to six meetings a week. Um, and I'm on the Los Angeles board and the communications chair. Um, so that's been, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, being of service for sure keeps me abstinent. Um, I don't weigh myself anymore, so I don't know how much weight I've lost. Um, I know I'm somewhere between 85 and 100 pounds down, but no, you know, I don't know for sure because I don't weigh myself. And that's like the least interesting part about me now, um, which I'm really grateful to say. And um, I meal prep, which helps taking, which helps take the decision making, um, emotional decision making out of my day. Um, So I usually have my meals ready to go um, ahead of time. I have a morning routine, um, which involves I put my phone on airplane mode um, the night before so that when I wake up in the morning, because I'm originally from the East Coast, so sometimes I wake up with like a flurry of texts and stuff from my friends and family that are already up. So I have my phone on airplane mode so that when my alarm goes off, it's quiet. There's no distractions. That is my like boundaried, protected time with God. And I um, meditate for 15 to 20 minutes and I journal. Um, sometimes the journaling comes first and then the meditating, you know, I'm, I'm open. And sometimes the meditating is in silence. Sometimes it's to a guided meditation. Sometimes it's, um, you know, just with some Zen yoga music in the background. Um, but that is my boundaried, protected time. And once I do that, then I turn my phone off airplane mode and, and get going with my day. And when I do, I try to limit my social media time to just 15 minutes in the morning because otherwise I will be just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, and I put myself in the middle of the herd. Um, that was something that was told to me in the very beginning is that um, the everybody that's on the, <laughs> the, the sheep that are on the outskirts of the herd get picked off by the wolves. So if you put yourself in the middle, you'll be protected by your fellows. So that's what I do. Um, you know, I make a lot of outreach calls and I have a lot of really great friends in this program that I've made um, and just so grateful for that. 
And I've worked all 12 steps, which feels like, honestly, you know, working all 12 steps feels like the biggest accomplishment. Um, it feels like a bigger accomplishment than, you know, being like hitting my third birthday um, in November because the steps are really where it's at. You know, meetings are fantastic. Of course, you know, outreach is fantastic and fellowship is incredible. And we couldn't do this program without those things. But for me, like the real true serenity came from working the steps and came from establishing a power or a, a relationship with a power greater than myself. So that's kind of what I do to keep like, you know, just like the nuts and bolts of it. And I'll get into like my meal plan and all of that stuff later. But um, to give you a taste of what it was like, um, I was an overweight child. Um, I have so much trauma with like gym class and stuff. Like I was always the last when we'd have to do the timed mile. I was always the last. And like that shame and embarrassment that I felt when I had to change in the locker room in front of other girls and, you know, my body and everything like I was just so taken by this disease um and as much as i hated how i looked and i hated you know being overweight i loved food and i one of my earliest memories of equating food with love was that my i was really close with my grandfather um and he had diabetes and he and i would sneak off and eat sugar together <laughs> it was so naughty it was so bad but like he and i were best buds i was his first grandchild and like we were obsessed with each other. Like I was like maybe five or six and I used to say, cause I didn't really understand the concept of marriage. I used to say, I'm going to marry Poppy. That's what I called him because it was like, I, I understood it as if you love someone so much, you marry them. So like, I was so in love with my grandfather that I used to say, I'm going to marry Poppy. And he loved me by, you know, showing me how much he loved me by, you know, taking me out to the diner and, you know, we would, sneak off and, and, you know, get our fix in. And I have one specific memory of like getting this like massive ice cream sundae that was way too large for a child. And I ate so much that I ended up throwing up and getting sick from it. And my, my Nana, you know, his wife like gave him, you know, a hard time, you know, she, that was too big for a child. Like, you know, she can't be eating that, but I just wanted all of that love. I wanted so much of it. I didn't care if it was making me feel sick because that was how I equated, you know, especially being Irish and Italian, you know, it's a cultural thing too of like when you don't eat something, they're like, what do you not like it? And it's like, no, no, I love it. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it, but you know, it's like they want you to keep eating and stuff. So that was one of my first memories of <laughs> eating past the point of being full and being like, you know, very physically uncomfortable. And um, I think also another thing, so it was, I was always overweight and it was made very clear to me that that was a problem. Um, again, my Nana, the one that I just referred to, she used to like bribe me to lose weight by saying, I'll give you a dollar for every pound that you lose. Um, so it was made clear to me from a very young age that my weight was a problem and it needed to be addressed. And, I had I got a lot of um, emotional and, and verbal abuse from my mother as far as my weight goes. And now as a gift of this program, and trust me, I didn't see it this way for a very long time. But now that I'm in recovery, I can look back and see that she was so scared. You know, she herself probably qualifies for this program. I'm not going to take her inventory, but I'll say she might benefit from coming to a meeting <laughs> and leave it at that. Um, and I can now see that being her first child and seeing me exhibit 
behaviors of being a compulsive overeater from such a young age. She probably just wanted to do anything and everything she could to prevent me from going down the same path she did. And she's still to this day in her 60s is still going to commercial weight loss programs. Like, God bless her. Like, she still is trying to lose those last 10 pounds, you know. And it's just like... I'm so grateful that I caught this when I did. And, you know, like I was, I was 23 when I came into the program and, and I know what a huge gift that is, that I had a lot more eating to do. I had a lot, you know, a much further bottom, you know, to go to if I hadn't found these rooms and if I wasn't willing to, you know, work the steps. So it's really been such a gift of this program to be able to see it from her perspective that like, I know if I had a daughter right now, and I saw her, you know, sneak eating or like stashing away Halloween candy under her bed and doing all of those things that I would be terrified and I would want to do whatever I could to prevent her from going through that pain and like the stigma of like being obese, you know, in a society that really shames, you know, being overweight. So while I don't necessarily agree with the way that she went about it and the things that she said to me and the way that she, you know, just made me feel like not worthy of, of any love, I can now have a lot of compassion for her. And I now see, you know, that she was just doing whatever she could to keep me safe. So I um, was always up and down when I was like a teenager that I would like, you know, gain a ton of weight and then I would go on a diet and lose weight. And whenever I lost weight, I got so much praise. That was like, it was so clear to me that when I was thinner, I was more worthy of attention and love. That was when I would get, you know, more attention from boys. That was when, you know, people would say, oh, my God, you look so good. What are you doing? And half the time it was like, you know, total nonsense diets, you know, cottage cheese diet and the grapefruit. And, you know, I don't have to tell you guys. I know that you've been through it all and, you know, hydroxy cut and, you know, the diet pills and all of that kind of stuff, you know, like. It was, um, that was just all I thought about. That was always the running dialogue in the back of my head was how can I lose weight? And so when I went away to college, that was really when I put on like the, uh, the most weight that I've ever put on because I got to go to the dining hall and there was no one there to tell me no. <laughs> and it was buffet style for every single meal. And I would do the whole thing where I would go for lunch. My friends would go to class. I would stay. A different friend group would come and they'd say, and I'd say, Oh, I just got here. Do you want to eat lunch together? And I would eat a second meal. And you know, I, it showed up. I gained way over the freshman 15. It was probably like the freshman 40, honestly. Like I put on a lot of weight in college and, then I lost it again and, you know, the up and down, the up and down. And then finally, oh, the other thing, too, that I'll mention is like having to as like a as a girl having to shop at like plus size uh, clothing stores. Now I notice that like I still sometimes reach for the double XL because I still like think of myself as that big girl. And like when I you know was younger and all my friends would want to go to the mall, I couldn't shop at those stores that they all were shopping at. I had to go to, you know, Lane Bryant and like, you know, the stores that had plus size. So that also was like another thing that I think like kind of messed with me. And when I um, so when I graduated college, that was my absolute top weight. It was like I was pushing 300 pounds. I was so physically uncomfortable. I was a tour guide. Um, so I gave campus tours to prospective students and by the end of like a day of like an open house where I was giving tours like all day, I was exhausted. Like I had like the knee pain, the hip pain. I would be winded when I was just walking and talking at the same time. And it was embarrassing, you know, like here I was trying to represent the school and I couldn't even take care of myself because I was just binging. 
and binge drinking. And then I'd wake up the next morning hungover. So I'd smoke weed to get rid of the hangover. And then I'd get the munchies. So then I'd go to the diner and I'd binge there. And like, it was just this like really self-destructive cycle. And I ended up having to make quite a few amends um, for the people in my life at that time, like, you know, senior year of college for stealing their food, you know, for just being disrespectful, like, you know, in the house that we lived in. And yeah, so once I was uh, at my top weight and I saw those photos of myself in, you know, from graduation, it was like, okay, like high time for another diet, you know, like this is really embarrassing Um, and I don't want to live this way anymore. So that's when I decided to switch to a vegan lifestyle and I um, was eating completely plant-based. So you can imagine that if I'm going from eating junk food and, you know, drive through um, fast food, all of that to vegetables, of course, I'm physically going to lose weight. Like that's a given, you know. So in the first two years of being vegan, I lost 85 pounds. And again, all that positive reinforcement, you look so great. You look so wonderful. You're glowing. And it's true. Like I and I still am vegan to this day. So, um, you know, that meal plan like just works with my body. But I didn't have a spiritual solution. So, like, yes, my skin did clear up and my hair got shinier and I lost weight and I had more energy to exercise and stuff. But I was still eating and behaving in a way that was not serene or recovered by any means. Um, Katie. Great. Thank you so much. Um, so, wow, that went so fast. Oh, my gosh. So I'll speed up <laughs> to um, – okay. So when I um, – lost the weight. Um, I still didn't have a spiritual solution. I still didn't have a boyfriend. I still didn't, I still had my depression. I still had my anxiety. Um, And so that was when I knew that I needed something more. And that's when I came to OA. It was actually my best friend um, who uh, is sober in the beverage program. He told me like in the kindest, littlest voice, like, hey, just so you know, uh, you know, there's a program that's like AA, but for food, <laughs> that was all it took. I just needed that one little thing. And I came in and I got a sponsor. And um, I, what I will say, too, is like with exercise, like finding a form of exercise that really it feels good for me and isn't a form of punishment, because up until this point, exercise was just a means of preventing myself from gaining weight or, you know, losing weight. It wasn't, it was a form of punishment. You know, it was damage control after I had benched the night before. It never was something that I enjoyed doing. And so finding a form of exercise that really fuels me in a, in a positive way is just incredible. Um, so I really love doing yoga. I love doing, and under normal circumstances, I love going to spin classes because I love the music and, um, you know, even like dance classes and stuff. Like I don't force myself to run anymore because I hate running and like, I don't have to, you know, like these days I don't have to do that. Um, and I, don't weigh myself because the scale is just such a triggering thing that like that information isn't really relevant for me anymore because when I, it the number, no matter what, it's not going to make me happy. If I've gained weight, I'm going to be mad at myself. And if I've lost weight, it's like not going to be enough, you know, or like I used to think of it as like, 
I lost five pounds. I'm going to treat myself and go eat. It's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So now that I'm no longer in the obese category, like as long as I'm not severely overweight or severely underweight, I'm good. And even when I go to the doctor, I tell them, hey, I'm recovering from an eating disorder. So I'm going to get on the scale backwards. You can take number down for your purposes but please don't say it out loud. And they know not to give me like the printout, you know, where it says the the visit recap. Um, so that really helps. And then uh, service for sure has just been incredible. One thing that I'll say about working the steps is that I was right at step seven when I was approached as far as joining the board um, of Los Angeles. And so my one of my character defects is impatience. And I always find that whenever I ask God to remove a particular defect, he will immediately present me with an opportunity to put that into practice and to practice being more patient. So when I was turning over all of my defects as far as, you know, being impatient and things like that, then the board, the board opportunity came up and I have had to practice being so patient, so patient during this whole process. But it has been such a gift like seeing how many people are on these meetings like 126 people 127 people it just went up when I looked at it like that's incredible the fact that like I am helping spread the message in this way because to kind of like give a breakdown with uh, communications it's I do the 12 stepper and I do the zoom meetings and coordinate the intergroup accounts that we have and stuff and to be able to help People all over the world find this beautiful program and maybe people who were, you know, too afraid to come to an in-person meeting. This feels a little bit safer. I just want to say thank you, you know, to everybody who was on this meeting today, because the fact that you are here makes everybody feel less alone. And that was what was so huge for me when I came in is that I realized like, oh, wow, I really qualify. Like <laughs> there, I am not alone. When I started hearing people like, talking about all sides of this disease, I was like, wow, I am not alone. And hearing other people share about it was just so incredible. So what I usually like to wrap with is that um, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. And uh, it really, that I always come back to that whenever there are problems that come up that I just can't face. Like right now I'm really in step three. I am like fully, fully, fully surrendering my will over to a higher power because this pandemic is, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over this pandemic. I want to go home so badly to see my family for Christmas, you know, back in Jersey, but I don't think it's going to happen, you know, and that breaks my heart. It'll be the first Christmas that I, you know, won't be with my family, but I'm willing to give up one Christmas in order, in exchange for many more to come in the future. And, uh, you know, I just have to accept that. So thank you so much, Julie. Um, wow, I feel like I just ran a marathon. That went so fast. <laughs> thank you guys so, so much for hearing me. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I'll call on you and then you can unmute and ask your question. And we're going to stop at 9.50. And you'll Jane. get in five minutes. Okay, fabulous. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, Jane, go for it. Hi, Katie. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I had never heard your story. So much hope. Thank you for your service. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
your food plan and how you approached it in the beginning um, so that it didn't feel like a diet having come from all the diet schemes? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so, so much for asking that, Jane. Um, I did, uh, similar to what Nancy had suggested, I did see a nutritionist um, since none of us are doctors, and I knew that I wanted to, um, oh, and I'm supposed to repeat the question, I guess, or no, maybe not. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yes, I did see a nutritionist because none of us are doctors. I, um, as I mentioned, I went vegan in 2014. So I knew that I wanted to keep that. Um, that just was the meal plan that really suited my body. And I hope and pray that everybody finds a meal plan that works for them the way that plant-based works for me, um, because it just makes me feel better. I feel like I'm running on, you know, cleaner energy and I'm fueling my body with loving fruits and vegetables. And um, like I said, my energy got better and everything, but my sponsor isn't um, plant-based. So she was like, since I don't, no, like you should see, you know, a nutritionist or, you know, a doctor about it. So what I did was I went to see a nutritionist um, who actually specialized in recovery, like people who are recovering from eating disorders, which was fantastic. She knew all about OA and everything. So she knew about abstinence and all of that. She didn't ever once weigh me or measure me. It was all based on how do you feel after you eat? Like, are you feeling satiated and satisfied? And how fueled you feel throughout the day. So it was like distributing my carbohydrates throughout the day so that I wasn't carbo loading right at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day because carbs are not the enemy, at least for me. <laughs> um, I'll speak from my, you know, experience. And she did have me weigh and measure, but I only did that as instructed for two weeks. So that I got a good idea of what a normal portion size is, but then it didn't, you know, like I didn't spin out and become obsessed with the numbers then. And it, you know, felt like a diet. So I only did the weighing and measuring for two weeks just to kind of retrain my brain to like understand what a normal portion size is because I had zero concept of like what normal was. So that for sure really helped. And um the other thing too that I will say as far as just like, eating and wanting to eat more and everything is right before I eat I usually say a quick prayer literally sometimes it's as simple as God please let this be enough like I just invite God to the table with me and my sponsor always says leave a bite for God so like I try to like leave a little bit on my plate I don't like lick the plate like I used to you know and usually if I'm still feeling like oh I want more I drink water. I go step away from the table for at least 15 minutes. And usually by the time that 15 minutes is up, I'm over it. And like, you know, I'm, I'm done. It's when I'm still sitting at the table, especially when I'm at like a family gathering. And if it's family style, I'm just like wanting to pick, you know, wanting to, you know, eat more and, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, so I limit my meals to just one plate. And that seems to really work well for me. Um, and if there's going to be a potentially triggering situation like a holiday, I usually will commit my food ahead of time just to create a little action plan for myself. And I just book in with my sponsor while I text her before and then I text her after a kitchen is closed. So hope that answers your question. Thank you, Jane. Um, Nancy. My name is Nancy Beecham, and this is still my 44th holiday season, and I am uh, maintaining 150-pound weight loss. Oh, my God, I certainly heard God speaking through you, and I thank you for that smile and for your clarity, which shows me that you are truly abstaining on this program. Katie, I wonder if you would share with us 
a little about things like they talk about in this program that you get moments of clarity when you know you need to change and that if you have restraint of pen and tongue, you're able to make those changes. So things that you've had to give up, have you had to kind of change your friends? Have you gotten a posse around you or are most of them abstaining? You know, just talk to us about some of the prep. You spend time with God to get quiet when maybe you didn't before. And I and you seem to immerse yourself in this program a lot. So have you given up other things in your life in order to get this until you can really fly on your own? Yeah, thank you so, so much for that question, Nancy. Um, yes, I can. That's something that I really love about the 12 Steps is that it is so applicable to every area of my life. You know, they say... The food, it's about the food, but it's not about the food. And that is true, that the food is really just a symptom of a deeper problem. So once I was able to kind of put the food down and once the food got a little quieter, I was able to put put these principles and traditions into other areas of my life. Like specifically in my work life, for sure, I have gotten so much better at setting boundaries. And like you teach people how to treat you. And learning when I like I bring the serenity prayer to work with me all the time because it's like, okay, accept the things that I cannot change. Like there's some things that I truly can't change, you know, when it comes to work. The thing, you know, like the courage to change the things that I can because there are some things that I can take action on. And, you know, okay, what can I do? What's the next right indicated action? And then the wisdom to know the difference, you know, between those two things. So my work life, for sure, I feel like I have like garnered a lot more respect amongst my colleagues because they know I'm not going to respond to an email at 10 o'clock at night. You know, you can send it, sure, but I'm not going to respond unless it's work hours. So, and that's really just to boundary and protect my own serenity. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, spending more time with God. Like I talked about, my, my morning routine is so special to me, you know, like, and that's why I protect it with such clear boundaries, um, because I know that my day, it just goes so much smoother when I started off with God. And um, again, like with the work thing, you know, pausing in the middle of my work day, um, you know, to go, excuse me, go outside and, um, you know, meditate a little bit or, you know, say a prayer like that pause is just so huge because I was such an instant gratification girl. I wanted the immediate results. I was quick to respond. I wanted to be like the fastest employee ever. And now it's like I know that that's not my best work when I'm like rushing and doing things really quickly. Um, and then as far as like the people that I surround myself with, yeah, I mean, some of my best friends are people that I've met in this program for sure. And like I mentioned, my, my best friend is, you know, sober in AA. So it's really nice to be able to, you know, talk recovery with people and, um, you know, even with dating and stuff, it's like funny. I'm like, <laughs> I can't imagine dating someone who's like not in a 12 step program now because it's like, I need someone who's like actively working on themselves. Like that is so attractive to me when I like come across someone who is like, really doing the work on themselves. Um, so yeah, I, it definitely has shaped and changed how I show up in the world. And I know that there is more will be revealed. I fully recognize that I'm a baby in this program and that, you know, I'm, I'm a three-year-old toddler right now, you know, that I'm experiencing a taste of what recovery can do for me, but, um, there's still, you know, so much more in store clearly. So thank you. Um, okay, Mark. Oh, wait, no, sorry, you were just clapping. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> um, Bob M. No, that's us raising our hand. That's, oh, it that's is. That's us oh. co-hosts raising our oh, hand. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, well, yeah, Mark S., go for it then. <laughs> okay, but actually, Nancy and Vincent were ahead of me, though. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> okay. Um, then Nancy, Nancy D. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Katie. Um, so uh, you, you touched on it a little bit, but can you talk about um, your relationship with your higher power and how it has evolved as you've been in program and working the steps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think uh, myself, like a lot of people, I came in with, uh, you know, an understanding of, of God. You know, I was raised in a certain religion. So, you know, I went through all of the practices and, and rituals and traditions of that religion. And I was pretty like I was a believer of God when I came in for sure. But it was definitely like that God of my childhood. And now the the concept of a higher power of my understanding has been crucial. Like something recently that like came up as I was like working through there's a new OA book called um, Body Image and Sexuality and Relationships. And it's fantastic. Definitely buy it on the OA website. Um, and when I was doing some writing and reading on that book, I like realized that like my higher power wants me to enjoy any kind of like sexual encounters because before it was like sex was so shameful and like it's dirty and you should wait till marriage and only use it for when you're procreate or when you're, you know, creating new babies and not for recreational purposes. And it was so boundaried that like I haven't really experienced like many positive sexual experiences and now like I understand that my higher power wants me to enjoy sex my higher power wants me to be in love with the person that I'm with and it be a really positive experience for you know both parties involved and that was that's not the god of, of you know my childhood by any means so things like that where it's like it's so empowering to know that like my higher power is like whatever I want it to be. And I know a lot of people do the wanted ad of like coming up with a list of like, what's your perfect dream higher power? Like what's your God, what does your God do for you? And that's what I did. And my God is so loving. My God doesn't yell at me. My God is not a drill sergeant or a boot camp instructor. You know, usually when I'm getting like internal dialogue, if it's loud, if it's mean, if it's like, you need to get your shit together, you know, you need to get it together, whatever. That's not my higher power talking. That's my disease talking. My higher power's voice is very calm. It's very gentle. Like it's very, it's usually pretty quiet and it's not something that I'll just see on a billboard. It's like, I have to put my listening ears on. I have to like get into that meditation space in order to like uh, strengthen the connection, you know, the channel between me and my higher power. So that helps. Thank you. Five more minutes. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, Julie. Um, okay. And then uh, you said Vincent. Okay, yeah, Vincent. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for your share. It's, it's wonderful. You have mentioned earlier the word depression. Um, can you talk about any relation that you see or you have actually maybe personally experienced between depression and the program and your abstinence? Yes, thank you so much for asking that, Vincent. Um, so what I'll say is that my dad has depression and my mom has anxiety, and I have both <laughs> because I'm a product of both of them. So um, the the one thing that I can say that is such a gift, like such an incredible, incredible gift, is that I haven't had a panic attack since I joined program, and it's because I have tools now to help me cope. Like even last night, as recent as last night, I found out that my roommate uh, wants to move out by the end of the month. And so that means I have to figure out my living situation if I want to find a space, you know, fill, fill her space or move out on my own. 
and the fear of financial insecurity was like really loud. And I was like close, close to having a panic attack, but I called some fellows. I texted my sponsor. She's on the East coast. So it was late for her, but texted my sponsor, did some journaling, like these, the tools of this program really, really work. Like they really, in, in like that moment of panic. And as far as the depression goes, my depression shows up in laziness and sloth. Like, so when I'm like in my depression, it's like I can't get out of bed and, you know, I just feel like completely useless. And especially in this pandemic, I have found that my energy levels are so much lower. Like normally I like can go, you know, like leave the house at, you know, 8 a.m. and not get home until 8 o'clock at night and be totally fine and do the same thing the next day. Now it's like I ha- I grant myself a lot of grace to just like if there's a day where I am just really, really tired, I allow myself to sleep and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that I am slipping back into my old depressive ways because now I have a program that keeps me safe and I'll never fall as hard as I would have before program because I have this safety net of fellows that are just so willing to help. And I remember that being just such a mind boggling thing to me that it's like, you don't get paid. Like, I don't have to pay you to like, listen to me talk and stuff. Like we all just help each other out because that's what, that's what service is all about working with others and, you know, giving what you have so that you can keep what you have. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I for sure have experienced, you know, mental health issues, but it's gotten so much better from working this program and I no longer hurt myself with food with it. So thank you. Um, Okay. And then Mark, Mark S, go for it. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for your share. Uh, You mentioned at the beginning of it that uh, when you were first went onto the board, uh, one of the, you were going through step five, and you were very, you can be impatient. Um, how did you apply the twelve steps? Like sometimes when you feel the impatience, especially if someone's rambling on, or you know, or, or other times when you don't, when you could see solutions and no one else is getting it. So uh, yeah. those character traits that sometimes can be negative, you know, how do you change them into positive character traits? For sure. Absolutely. And yeah, that's exactly how my sponsor had me work. Um, step six and seven, like identifying my defects and how on one end of the spectrum, it's a defect, but on the other side of the spectrum, it's an asset. And um, so like, I, I always look at it with being the communications chair. I'm kind of a busybody. like on the really negative end of it, I can be like a gossip and like, I want to just know what's going on. I like to like, just be in the know, but on the other end of the spectrum, it's actually a really great thing that I can like, help communicate what needs to, you know, I like being in the know. So I like being able to help other people be in the know and like, you know, working that end of it for sure. And I will say like being on the board, I've learned the traditions in a way that I never would have learned them before, you know, like learning how to practice them in situations that arise. It's like all of it's there. It's all in the literature, like every issue that we could possibly come up with, even things like with Zoom where like there's no instructions in the big book on how to do Zoom, you know, OA meetings and stuff, you know, like there's no clear cut thing. But if you look at the, you know, it's like our common welfare comes first and, you know, anonymity and, you know, all of these traditions and principles that um, I don't think I ever would have truly comprehended the way that I do now because I've had to actually put them into action. And as far as just like impatience and everything goes, um, you know, sometimes I can say to myself, like some are sicker than others. And 
you know, years of recovery doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that you're any more recovered or serene than, you know, the next person. They say the person who got up the earliest is the person with the most abstinence, you know. So, um, you know, just trusting that um, higher power has a plan and that sometimes it doesn't require me to take action. Sometimes I just get to sit back and let nature take its course because, it's, I don't have to be the hero. I definitely have like a hero complex where like I want to solve everything and I want to like, you know, f- fix it all. And sometimes I don't have to. Sometimes I just get to sit back and just let it all, you know, happen um, on its own. So great place. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. Great. Love that timing. Thank you guys so, so much.